Look at those eyes. Oh, and he does get there easily. What a second shot just when he needed it. He'll have that for Eagle here at 18. How about that for applying some pressure? He just made it. With a heavy heart, but inspired play and a back nine charge. It's Eric Van Royen here at the Worldwide Technology Championship. He is never going to forget those last three putts he hit on 16, 17, 18. Wow. Look at that embrace. Incredible finish. And a meaningful one, to say the least. And Ian, just like that, at a price of 80 to 1, a podcast favorite, EVR, comes through uh, for a plus 104 unit weekend and three in a row. Ian, this has to be one of the best. I know you've had a, a good fall run in the past, but this has to be one of your, your better fall runs or runs in general. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, that was going to be my lead-in point. I've been, I've been golf betting for pretty seriously about four or five years now. Uh, first time in my entire life I've been able to hit three outrights in a row. Um, obviously, we had the bye week there in the middle between Zozo and, and the Worldwide Technology. But, um, yeah, for new listeners that came onto the uh, – or came onto the fly cutting scene to start 2023. Uh, it's been, it's been a hell of a run. So I don't know. I, I hesitate to like, I don't want to be like Mr. Killjoy on a day of celebration, but like, it's, it's not going to be <laughs> this easy, uh, you know, going forward and in, in, into infinitum, um, you know, just for me kind of Sunday night, just driving around with a winning ticket in our pocket. Um, I don't know. I, my, my initial kind of takeaway was like, you know, don't just don't take it for granted. Right. Like if you if you've been following our picks and you've hit three in a row and you've got money in your account, you know, I will maybe get into um, EVR's post round press conference um, kind of later on. But, you know, I would encourage you to take some money out, you know, buy something that's either meaningful to you. Take your family out. Take, you know, your significant other wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband out you know, for, for something that really can mark this kind of celebration, because I think a lot of times in gambling, we, um, we don't really get to stop and, and enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's always kind of grinding for the next week, the next slate, um, you know, and it's just very rare that you get a run like this. Uh, trust me. So definitely got, I mean, we'll talk about the actual golf in itself. Um, again, maybe late in the discussion, but yeah. For those of y'all, I'm hoping that everyone out there was able to cash with us on not only Eric, but Colin and Tom as well over the last month or so. Um, so go out there, man. Treat yourself. Treat your treat the people that you love. Um, that was my main takeaway because, you know, it, it's <laughs> we can go on and on, both me and Chris and our respective sports about the the what could have beens. Um, but when things go right for for a month and you you're able to, you know, just level your bankroll up by multiple stages um, with just a few bets, it's it's something pretty special. So that's, so again, I, I appreciate the support that we got not only, um, you know, on social media, on Twitter, um, the engagements we got, the winning tickets I saw all across Twitter was, was awesome. Um, so yeah, that was my main takeaway. Just, you know, it's, it, 
make, make this tangible, you know, like make this a blessing for not just you and, um, you know, make it something that maybe transcends um, just a winning ticket and a few unit counts on Twitter at the end of the day. So, um, but as for the golf itself, EVR, man, I mean, it was, it was looking pretty bad there on the front nine. I know Chris was really um, engrossed in, in the championship race and NASCAR championship race, as was I, to be honest with you. Um, it kind of helped that the four o'clock NFL slate was pretty bad. So I had pretty much all my attention on NASCAR and golf and we made the turn EVR. Um, you know, he, I mean, he started his Sunday by bogey and like the easiest hole in the entire golf course on the par five first. And that's not exactly, <laughs> not exactly the start you want when you kind of only have one guy in the mix and his odds kind of just free fall all throughout the front nine went from four to one to open, um, all the way down, I think to 14 or 16 to one when he was making the turn four or five down to Kutra and Vajegas. And uh, I don't know if you I, – I, I'm assuming you didn't watch it live, but if you watch the highlights, uh, Chris, I mean, you, you'll see that, I mean, every hole, it just felt like he either had a tap in for birdie or he made a bomb right in the middle. So, um, yeah, just one of those rare times in golf betting where kind of everything you need to hap, have happen on a on a back nine when you're down by four uh, kind of comes into fruition. And, man, uh, the last three holes, as they kind of alluded to on the broadcast, 16 um, – has a tricky little downhill 25 footer that he curls in on the par three. I mean, he, he was on 16 T down by two, even despite the the four birdies he made to, to start the uh, the back nine was down two to Kucher with three holes to play. Curls in a 25, 30 footer on 16, just drains about a 20 footer on 17. And then hits, uh, you know, a beautiful hybrid about 15, 20 feet on, on 18 and just jars that right in the middle. So um yeah, you know, if you've been golf betting for any amount of time, you're kind of used to <laughs> to a lot of, again, near misses and, you know, what could have been. But uh, he was black out in the back nine. And, um, yeah, he just – he took the tournament over, which is not something that you're used to in a golf tournament like this. Typically, the fall swing is, is more of a – more of kind of a war of attrition and who can kind of make the least mistakes in the back nine. But credit to, to Eric as he, again, didn't put a foot wrong. 28 on that backside. Uh, shades of Victor Hovland at – BMW shades of Cam Smith at St. Andrews. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to cash a few kind of back down heaters, uh, Sunday heaters on our day. So add nothing to the list. Yeah. And as you alluded to, um, I know one message that you sent in our group chat uh, while we were watching the race was, you know, if you, if you don't watch the highlights, at least go watch the, the poster on presser. Um, so I did happen to catch the, um, the comments made on, on 18 by Eric Van Royen. And for anyone who doesn't know, he has like a, a best friend who I think is like, like stage four melanoma cancer, I believe. And is, I guess, not going to make it. Um, and he said he was playing for him. And he said that they asked him about the pressure coming on the line. And he said, he just realized at some point down that stretch that, you know, life was more important than golf. And uh, he just kind of locked in and was playing everything he could for, for his buddy. So man, talk about just like, holding yeah. back tears that was uh that was quite the i mean to have that on the back of your mind like i understand like you're playing for him but like to just make that comment of, like life is more important than golf and then you go out there and play like that that's just an incredible feat that's just yeah amazing just just shows you how mental this game is and and you know i think a lot of players i mean not just at the professional level but amateur level i mean we those of us that grew up playing golf you know you kind of get in your own way and i think ebr was able to find a way to to just play free, um, you know, just without consequence, without really, I mean, he, he kind of knew that he said it himself. It didn't really matter. His life wasn't really going to change if he, you know, if he won the tournament or lost or came fifth, sixth, whatever. And 
Um, sometimes there's just the freedom that you need to to go out there and close the deal. And, you know, some of, I mean, for, for him, especially entering the week, he was 125th in the FedEx Cup uh, standing. So he was right on the line to maybe not even be able to keep his card for 2024. And now all of a sudden he's he's right there and he, he'll probably be right in the mix for some of the elevated events to start the year um, at places like Pebble Beach and, and Riviera. So life-changing move for him. But, yeah, if you want a bit of perspective on a Tuesday night, uh, I recommend we retweeted it. It's all over Twitter. Um, but, yeah, that's a, it's about as powerful of a post-round interview as I've ever seen. So um, awesome to, to be able to root for a guy like that. And, um, you know, as you can tell, I'm kind of getting shaky-voiced over here myself just thinking about it. So, uh, I didn't. I really wasn't aware of that beforehand, but uh, definitely one of the more sentimental stories, one of the best stories we've we've had come out of the fall swing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, unless there's anything else you want to talk about for last week, I think we can move on to this week's tournament in Bermuda. Um, and as Ian has kind of alluded to the last few weeks, you can uh, when we enter our little recording studio here, you can kind of pick whatever name you want. Uh, Ian has one as the Hero World Challenge as his little banner right now. So uh, clearly he's really excited for <laughs> for this week's um, event. But we also have no bets locked in as of right now. So this is going to be one of those podcasts where we're just kind of talking things through and, and see where we land. And hey, last time we did that, we hit Tom Kim as a winner. So sometimes this podcast, this format kind of works out. Um, but yeah, Ian, we're down to heading out to Port Royal in Bermuda. Um also, trivia question for you. Do you know what Butterfield is? Because it is not what I thought it was. I know their logo is a dragon. That's all I know. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Unless that's the Island of Bermuda's logo. But I know there's dragons all over the flag sticks and all the branding. So I Apparently, it's an independent offshore bank. Okay. Yeah. Not what I, I mean, thought with the name Butterfield. <laughs> I know. I mean, the, the, the immediate thought goes to Butterball, the turkeys. But yeah. I, it was a little bit off. Um, but, yeah, makes sense. Very corporate entity for the PJ Tour. Um <laughs> So when in doubt, you can kind of bank on the fact that some side of some sort of financial institution or some kind of like cybersecurity, yeah. uh, something like that, or, or some kind of blue chip uh, Fortune 500 company. So, yeah. Um, but I, we'll, we'll go ahead and I guess talk a little bit about Bermuda. Um, I don't really want to pile too much onto the worldwide technology. Uh, I think a lot of people have kind of done their their uh, due diligence, or I guess they've they've spoken their piece about card and all i mean it's not really surprised anyone that actually did a ton of research into the course but yeah not is it not exactly the most fitting golf course i feel like to host a pj tour event but um you know we'll again we'll talk about it if it stays in the rotation for you know two or three plus years but um yeah let's move on into bermuda uh for the 2023 as chris mentioned butterfield bermuda championship at port royal golf club in southampton bermuda uh it's on the very basically the very southwestern coast of the island of Bermuda, which is a very small island right in the middle of the Atlantic. A lot of people think, excuse me, a lot of people just assume Bermuda, uh, Caribbean, like right near like Bahamas and everything. No, that's not actually not the case. It's actually uh, closer to the stores of North Carolina than it is um, the Caribbean. It's about 600 miles off the coast of Cape Hatteras. Um, so it's literally just a little island right in the middle um, of the Atlantic Ocean. and um, yeah, we've been coming here since 2019. This will be the fifth iteration of this championship um, at Bermuda. The last four champions here. Uh, the defending champion was Seamus Power, who is not playing this week um, for unknown reasons. I haven't really even seen Seamus Power in like feels like three months. So maybe injury concerns. I'm not really sure. But 
Uh, he will not be defending his title, but he does hold the uh, 2022 championship. He won by one over Thomas Dietrich at minus 19. In 2021, Lucas Herbert uh, won at 15 under in a extremely, excuse me, extremely windswept year. Uh, he beat Danny Lee and Patrick Reed. Uh, Taylor Pendrith was also in the mix. I think he was the fifth overall leader that uh, that week. Brian Gay won in 2020 at 15 under par as well. Another another uh, year that was pretty affected by weather. Uh, he won in a playoff over Wyndham Clark, um, which tells you how far we've come from Wyndham in just three years. Uh, you know, three years ago he was. Losing to Brian Gay in a playoff in Bermuda, and uh, you know now three years later he's a U.S. Open champion and the winner at uh, a golf course like Quail Hollow, Ryder Cup player, top 10, 15 guy in the world. So, um, yeah, how far we've come. And then in 2019, the debut year of the Bermuda Championship, we saw Brendan Todd uh, set a scoring record of minus 24 uh, in a four-shot win over Harry Higgs. So Seamus Power, Lucas Herbert, Brian Gay, and Brendan Todd. And I mentioned the winning scores there earlier. That's kind of the primary thing that stands out um, through four years here at Bermuda is kind of the wide disparity of scores surrendered by this venue. Uh, in 2021 and 2020, Port Royal played to a scoring average of just 70.77, which is about a quarter shot under par, which for a swing season event is um, is pretty high. Just uh, typically these these events are going to be won at deep into the 20s, 20, 22, 24 under par. So to see a 1,500 winning score, particularly the golf course is just 6,800 yards on the scorecard, um is is pretty surprising um just 29 players between those two years in 2020 and 2021 managed to finish the week at double digits under par um but in 2019 and 2022 however uh we saw you know a little bit of the softer side of bermuda we saw Seamus power win at 19 under par we saw brendan todd win at 24 under uh this cumulative scoring average of those two years is 59.5 or 69 i'm sorry 69.59 which is nearly a shot and a half under par and about a shot and a quarter under the aforementioned scoring average between 2020 and 2021 and it combined 64 players uh in, in those two years reached the 10 under threshold so the reasoning is pretty simple and i kind of alluded to it in the herbert and gay years but uh Port Royal sits, again, like I said, quite literally right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, um, right off the coastline, or I'm sorry, uh, it sits, Port Royal Golf Club sits right on the coastline of the island of Bermuda, uh, which is obviously an island 600 miles east of, of America's east coast. Um, the finishing stretch of 15 through 18 sits just a few hundred feet from the Atlantic, and so players are about as exposed this week to wind as maybe any other golf course we see all year. So this is a, a tournament and a golf course that really changes as the weather changes. Um, now, as we sit here Tuesday night, I do have wind finder pulled up uh, for reference. I'm using the church Bay Southampton uh, wind tower, uh, which is the closest I could find. It's about five minutes um, West of the golf course. Um, and obviously these are wind forecasts. So they are very subject to change as the week goes on. That's part of the reason we'll get to later. Why I, I have been a bit more hesitant on the odds board this week. Um, but it does seem though, especially on the weekend, as if we are going to get, um, wind patterns that are a bit more, that play a bit more comparably to 2020 and 2021 when, you know, um, when Herbert and, and Gay won at 1500 par, um, as of right now on Saturday and Sunday, um, seeing sustained winds pretty much from 5am to 5pm of 15 to 20 miles an hour, um, gusts up to 22, 24 Sundays pretty similar with sustained winds all day of kind of 16 to 17 miles an hour gust into the low twenties as well. So if that becomes the case, um, I think it, it will dramatically shift the way that the golf course plays. Um, 
you know, Thursday and Friday do seem a bit more benign as of now, but if tackling this golf tournament from like a betting angle is something that you actually are interested in, um, I'd be doing everything within my power to allow forecasts to take shape before placing a lot of investments on the outright odds board. So um, again, the forecast I'm referencing, we're running this on Tuesday night. So we're about 36 hours out from the golf tournament. So that's just something I've got the wind finder page bookmarked um, that I'm kind of continually referencing or refreshing as the week goes on. Um, as of right now, it does seem like I, I did mention it was a bit more benign on Thursday, Friday, but it does seem like there could be potential for a wave advantage um, for the Thursday PM, Friday AM waves. It seems as if, you know, typically over the course of the week, the wind equalizes, the wind waves equalize because typically it looks a bit more like an exponential growth curve where the morning um, is pretty calm, pretty benign. And then as the afternoon goes on, the winds start to whip up. That's your traditional kind of wind curve. Um this week, it, if you just take like a graph of Thursday th- Thursday morning onto Friday afternoon, it looks a bit more like a parabola where it's kind of all, all the winds concentrated on like the extremes ends. And obviously with the structure of tee times in a golf tournament, if you go out on Thursday morning, you also go out on Friday afternoon. Um, so it's, it's not as serious as it would be on the weekends, but it does seem as if right now the best chance of going out with calm weather uh, would be Thursday p.m. and Friday a.m. So we'll talk about some guys that I have circled in terms of maybe being favored by the wind and some guys that are maybe a little bit more hindered by the wind. Again, we are talking about 12 to 15 miles an hour versus like 6 to 8. So it's a little bit less um, extreme than you know maybe some wind patterns in the past. And certainly it's going to be a lot calmer, it feels like, than what we'll see on the weekend. Um, but just something to keep an eye on because again, just especially a golf course like this that is so exposed, a little bit of wind can, can mean a lot for first scoring average. So that's enough for my meteor meteorology talk <laughs> for one night. Uh, let's get into the golf course itself. Uh, so Port Royal golf course, again, measures just over 6,800 yards on the scorecard. It is the second shortest venue on the entire PGA tour behind TBC river Highlands. It's actually the shortest par adjusted, uh, golf course on the tour. This is being a par 71 river Highlands being a par 70. So, when you just repar, this is the shortest golf course on the PGA Tour. Uh, in general, shorter golf courses tend to open the door for a wider variety of skill sets to contend. And through four years here in Bermuda, the tournament has held up to that idea to a T. Uh, the last four championships event, you just, you just kind of go through them year by year. You have Brendan Todd and Brian Gay over the first two years, two of the shortest hitters you'll ever find in professional golf, followed the very next year by Lucas Herbert, who ranks sixth in that field in driving distance. Uh, Seamus Power, the next year, was also very well above average in driving distance. Uh, but I really wouldn't say the Irishman is, is known for his kind of driving and long game prowess. Uh, much more of a short game wedge player um, <clears throat> is, is kind of what he has been what he would be known for, which is something we'll get to in a little bit later. Um, now, one thing that the four guys do all share is an aptitude with the putter. As a collective, none of the four ranked outside the top 65 on the PJ Tour in strokes getting putting either they won. Herbert actually recorded the fifth best putting season we've seen in 2019, two years ago, the year that he won. Um, and we've seen between the four champions, positive history on Bermuda has also been a very consistent through line. Um, the four of them have averaged a whopping four tenths of a stroke per round putting on Bermuda grass over the course of their careers, which to put that number in context, 0.4 strokes gained per round would basically have equated to a top 30 putter on tour last year. So um, when you're talking about a sample size this large for four champions on a particular grass type, um, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that some comfort, some 
history on Bermuda Ass Greens uh, can go a long way this week, particularly at a golf course um, where you just don't really have a ton of elite ball striking pedigree. Um, so while you can safely, we can kind of safely agree, I think most people would agree that driving is largely de-emphasized in a golf course that measures at 6,800 yards, has a bevy of club down opportunities and no really discernible, discernible impediments off the fairway. Um, I think there's like three water hazards on the property, despite the fact that it's right off the coast uh, of the Atlantic and the rough here is it's sparse. It's it, you know, you can, it's definitely tricky enough to maybe catch a few flyers and struggle with distance control, but it's nothing that, you know, you're going to have to hack out and actually um, cause sizable damage to your scorecard by simply by missing fairways. So you can still certainly play from the rough here. Um, so on golf courses like this, I, I really don't care uh, how you drive the ball. I feel like, you know, both accuracy mavens and guys that can bomb it off the tee both have um, equal equity in a field like this or in a golf, at a golf course like this. Sorry, keep getting notifications. I don't know how to mute that and turn it off. But um, <laughs> anyway, so we can kind of agree that driving is de-emphasized here. Um, and we can kind of agree that putting is propped up, as it usually is in fields that lack a ton of elite ball striking talents and typically play on the easier side of par. Um, but the other two phases of the game are, are kind of, I think, more reliant on the oh, forecast. And Bermuda this week. Um, Let's play a drinking game. However, every yeah. time you hear it, <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> The, the fucking group chat's going crazy right now on, on Messenger. Um, but, yeah, anyway, like I said, driving de-emphasized, putting is more emphasized this week. Uh, but you talk about around the green plane, you talk about approach play. Um, and I think the manner at which you weigh these two facets of the game depend entirely on kind of how you expect the course to play. If this course is played in calmer conditions, I expect this this place to basically act as a point and shoot wedge fest. A to the eleven par fours here at Port Royal measure under four hundred fifteen yards. Um, and the short par three third um, measures just one hundred forty eight yards on the scorecard. So you count that out, and you're looking at at least half the holes where guys are going to have you know probably one hundred and fifty yards and in for their second shots. Um, if the and if the weather does lay down, I expect Port Royal to. I don't really expect Port Royal to put up much resistance. Um, to even a field that is, is pretty beleaguered um, in terms of like marquee names, but wedge proximity specifically from 100 to 150 yards will be one of my key stats for this week. Um, but certainly more so if guys are able to play in conditions where they can accurately dial in the yardages and actually trust, um, you know, trust themselves to, to be able to hold greens and to, again, not have to deal with a ton of factors from the weather um, from, <clears throat> excuse me, aiding them in their, approach play um should the weather get a little out of hand though which is what we kind of expect on the weekend i i think a path to victory can be carved out through just sheer short game stats all right brian gay and lucas herbert the two tra- champions in 2020 and 2021 were able to win the tournament um despite missing a cumulative total of a third of their greens regulation uh each of them ranked inside the top 20 in both scrambling and putts per green regulation uh for the week so basically they emerged victorious, not because they were the best ball strikers in the field, but because they were consistently able to save par from out of position and take advantage of the limited opportunities they had uh, with their ball striking. So it's not often that I weigh short game stats compa- comparably to something like total driving or approach play. Uh, but if, if wind ca- forecasts get progressively dire through the week, we could, we could definitely see an opportunity to emerge for, you know, one of the permanent scramblers on tour to kind of go ahead and climb the way up the leaderboard um, around a difficult port Royal. So 
that is my overall handicap. Again, key stat recap. Um, I don't really care about your driving. Just as long as you're not hemorrhaging strokes every single week off the tee, uh, I think you can be short off the tee and win here. I think you can be long off the tee and win here. Um, so huge emphasis in general for me on overall driving stats. Approach play still is the most accurate barometer of week to week uh, for success on tour. So, um, And obviously, Port Royal, not a first-shot golf course, much more of a second-shot golf course. So large emphasis on wedge proximity inside 150. Another big week for, for a stat like birdie chances created as, uh, you know, you're going to have a ton of scoring clubs in hand. So if you can routinely hit hit um, hit shots inside 10, 15 feet, you're going to have a much better chance of casting those opportunities in. Um, of course, I, I really want a player that has some long-term pedigree on Bermuda grass greens. Um, and um, given the current wind forecast, particularly on the weekend, I have weighed around the green play about as highly as I have since the swing season started. Um, I think green and regulations, uh, sorry, I think green and regulation rates could easily fall into like the high 50s, low 60s if we see 20 mile an hour sustained gusts on Saturday and Sunday. Um, and if this becomes a reality, then a trusty short game will be a tremendous asset this week. So, um, yeah, unless Chris has any questions, I'll get into the model, my top 20. Um, it's going to get ugly pretty quick. You're going to get a, if you haven't seen the odds board yet, you're going to get a pretty good idea of the struggle that we deal with, uh, betting the Butterfield Bermuda championship this week. But number one in my model, number one on the odds board is Adam Scott. Uh, he rates on number one for me, probably the best overall all round profile we have in this field over the last six months. Uh, Brendan Todd comes in at number two, Lucas Glover comes in at number three, Alex Smalley at number four, Peter Kest at number five, Mark Hubbard at number six, Dylan Wu, number seven. Davis Riley, 8, Chad Ramey, 9, Doug Gim, 10, Brandon Wu, 11, Thomas Dietrich, 12, Ben Griffin, 13, Justin Lauer, 14, Akshay Bhatia, 15, Alex Noren, 16, Patton Kazire, 17, Ryan Palmer, Troy Merritt, Chad Ramey. So, yeah, a lot of exciting names to talk about on the odds board. Um, yeah, Chris, any, any questions about Port Royal or should we go ahead and get a move on into, you know, what people all came to hear? I don't think I have any questions about the course or anything like that, but maybe given that we don't have any bets in, a lot of it has to do with kind of the pending forecasts and tee times, stuff like that. I guess my question is, and with the odds board looking the way it is, where we'll, listeners, if you haven't seen odds board yet, you will hear in a second, but do you have a strategy in mind as far as where you think you want to allocate your money or is, are you yeah. still wide open as like anybody and anybody is, is fair game? No, no, I'm, I'm certainly not wide open. No, we'll, we'll get into the odds board and I, I, I have a short list and honestly, I feel like once I make one or two cuts to that short list, everything else kind of comes together. So, gotcha. okay. um, so yeah. That, so we'll talk, we'll talk it through in a minute then. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah. And I uh, don't, think you called it out there in your little intro so i'm gonna go ahead and call it out now but we did actually hit one of our biggest hits of all time was lucas herbert here uh in 2021 at the price of 75 175 to one well that's more than i thought it was um so uh, although ian's talking about how terrible this field is and to and to uh you know take advantage of the three wins in a row and, and take your families out and all that stuff we have had a winner here before, so it's not like uh, Ian doesn't have at least a good profile here. So and we had uh, Ben Griffin. We had Ben Griffin last year, and uh, he was the sole leader by two with like eight holes to go, and then absolutely pissed down his leg uh, down the stretch <laughs> and lost his famous power. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we we I I mean, this has kind of been a common thread for me all throughout the swing season. I've always felt like 
if you're willing to kind of grind on these kind of lower tier events, like you do have a bit of not a leg up on the books, but like, I do feel like it's a bit of an even fight because, um, you know, you just like, we just, if you're a golf sicko like me, you just have inherent knowledge on these guys that like, you know, week to week, it doesn't really matter. But, um, if you get these guys on a golf course that they like, then they don't really have to beat the upper echelon elites of the game to, to capture this title. So it's, it's certainly wide open. Um, the problem is like finding a guy <laughs> it feels like this week that you have that much conviction in to to pull the trigger on. So again, we'll we'll talk about the odds board in a second. Yeah, so let's go ahead and run over to the odds board. And uh, typically, you know, we'd start with like a tier one, tier two, you know, typically like a 10, 9, 11, 12 to 1. Nope, not this week. We are starting at 18 to 1. Um, and I don't really, I was even just, as you were talking, I was like trying to figure out like what, how I want to kind of break this first one into a tier here. I really don't know because even between the two books, it's very different. Um, so I'm just going to call out the three that I think even just based on your model too. Actually one guy was a little lower on your model than I thought, but um, let's talk about first, obviously Adam Scott, you said number one, your model, number one, the odds board. So that kind of lines up. Yep. Uh, Brendan Todd is, is kind of right behind him. He's number two in your model. Um, his price looks to be about 20 to one on, on, both books that I'm looking at. Yep. Um, let's go ahead and throw, you mentioned Ben Griffin. Let's throw Ben Griffin in the mix and let's throw um, Brendan Todd, former winner in, which did I already say his name? Sorry. I didn't think I already said his name. You did. And yeah. uh, Lucas Glover. Sorry. That's the other name I meant to say. Lucas Glover. Okay. Uh, I hope you remember what I just said. Cause I already forgot the names I just said, but uh, let's, those are the ones I would, I would assume you have kind of the most interest in. Oh, actually yep. I'm looking at your model now. You've got Smalley in the top five too. So, all right, we'll just throw Smalley in there as well. So Smalley, <laughs> Scott's, Griffin, Todd, and Glover. What are your thoughts on these guys? Are any of them on your short list? Yeah, and this is the problem. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm going to kind of take it easy on Chris here because he's right. Uh, there's not really a discernible tier, I feel like, until like after 25 to 1 on this odds board, and you'll kind of see it if you have multiple books and you can shop around. This is like a week above all else to shop around and have other options because like, you could have you could have a guy listed at twenty to one on a book and twenty eight to one on a book. Like it, there's just not really a ton of consensus in the market right now, um, and that obviously op- opens opportunities if you do happen to like a particular guy over another. Uh, so don't we say this every single week? Or I, I would endorse this every week, but particularly in a week like this, it's so ambiguous at the very top. Um, yeah, shop around, or if you can't, if you don't have access to a lot of different books, like this is where networking and you know like golf twitter is so great because you know i've got friends that live in new jersey that can maybe put a bet in me uh inform me on DraftKings or whatever right so um that would be my, my number one thing because chris is absolutely right like you look at the top i would say like 10 or 12 on this odds board and there's not a lot of like guys that stick out um over another so and and books concur i mean we, we reference Bovada on a week-to-week basis uh there are like I said, 12 guys between 18 and 25 to one. So not really a top tier and not a ton of fall off uh, in the 12 names. So I'm going to go ahead and spoil it right now. I think I'm going to be betting at least three guys out of this range. I think most of my budget is going to be allocated at the very top this week. We'll talk about maybe some sleepers on the board that I have moderate interest in and in, in like a DFS or a prop sense, but um, in terms of outright win equity, I think it falls off pretty damn hard after 25 to one. Um, and there's a lot of guys I like. So let's let's talk about the guys that I 
don't really have a ton of interest in first. And then we can kind of get into like what's taking me so long um, to actually make a move. So I would say, I know Chris didn't bring up the entire top 12, but I'm going to go ahead and list them off right now. So Adam Scott is 18 to one. Akshay Bhatia, Alex Molly, Ben Griffin, Brendan Todd, Lucas Glover, Lucas Herbert, Taylor Pendrith, and, and Thomas Dietrich are all 20 to one. And then you have Alex Noren, Doug Gim, Luke List, 25 to one. Automatically, I'm sorry, I love Doug Gim. Like 25 to one is fucking obscene. Like the dude has, let me let me look up how many starts Doug Gim has on the PJ Tour. He has started 106. He's made 106 starts on the PJ Tour according to this database. He has one top five. One top five in his entire career. And that top five was the Amex, the year Siwoo Kim won. He lost by eight shots. He was eight shots off the lead and finished T5. So he's just never even like come close to winning. Like I know he was in the final group at Sawgrass. Um, the one year that was kind of when everyone's first introduced to Doug Gim. I feel like outside of his am his amateur run of the Masters where he made three Eagles um, and made the cut and finished low am. But as a professional, like that was like his introduction moment. But he, he kind of fell off a cliff pretty early there. I know the ball strike has been great. You know, we, we talk about Doug M on a week-to-week basis being one of the better ball strikers in this fall swing. Problem is, right, like, he struck the ball at an elite level since May, and he has three top 15s to show for it. No finishes better than 12th. Uh, I mean, it's just – I don't know. Maybe it happens. Maybe it happens this week. Maybe this is the exact, like, right – the mix of field strength and, you know, just – Laid back, but I don't know. I mean, he finished 15th last week at Worldwide Technology, um, which is the best result he's had since the Fortinet. So maybe the deposit momentum can be can be deduced from that. But I I, I don't see an argument. Like he's he's not in this tier to me, uh, not yet. Like 25. And, and, and to your point on the other book that we referenced most, Bookmaker, he's yeah. 33 to one. So like he's in a different tier and on just another book. So. Yeah. Um. So, but even at 33, I just I don't have a lot of interest in Doug in. Like I. I, I like the I like the guy. Um, I'd be happy for him if he wins, but I, I can't endorse betting him at 33 to one. Um, so it, it's just becoming one of those things where he's gotten priced up so highly because of the underlying stats. Like if you run any kind of model, obviously your model will like Doug Gim, but like you got to show me some results first before we jump in at, at premium prices. And this is a premium price here. So 25 to one Doug Gim or even 30 to one Doug Gim. No, thank you. Um, Lucas Herbert, Lucas Herbert, 20 to one. I think you could probably find a 25 out there as well, uh, maybe at, at very best. But again, we kind of talk on a week to week basis. I don't like paying up for course history and course history alone. And that feels like a lot of what we're doing this week with Lucas Herbert. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. I think he's a solid player. Um, but like outside of putting, he doesn't really do anything elite. He's got a pretty, he's actually fallen off quite a bit with a short game in 2023. He's lost strokes around the greens and all but three of us starts dating back to the waste management open back in uh, February. He's a very middling mediocre wedge player and overall iron player in this field. And um, you know, the driver is probably the second best asset he has in terms of distance off the tee. But again, this is not a golf course that I feel like he's going to be able to utilize that to its fullest extent. So Herbert for me at 20 to one, it feels like you're betting on a guy that the only way he could win is gaining an obscene amount of strokes on the greens and if he's priced around guys that I feel like have multiple outs, um, I'm just I'm just not really interested in that. So twenty to one, um, oh, always a place in our heart. Probably one of our biggest, our earliest kind of big wins. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, this is we've got a long way in two years to be priced at twenty to one. Can I guess uh, your next one? I, I can guess your next one. I bet. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You're crossing off Luke List. You have to be. I'm crossing off Luke List. You are correct. I'm actually surprised that's the name you went with, but I am crossing off Luke List. Um, now this is a bit of a dangerous one because we kind of alluded to another book that hasn't been 35 to one right now, um, on their odds board, which I got to say is a pretty good number for a guy that has continually played some pretty good golf through the false wing. Uh, he obviously 37, won 37 now, by the way, 37 to one. There you go. Yeah. 37 to one on, on loop list, which again, I'm not really going to argue too much if you want to go in that direction because he's, he's popped up like almost every week in the fall swing, right? He won the Sanderson Farms, 25th to Fortinet, 18th to the Shriners. He finished 45th last week, but I remember he had a really good start to the week, so he must have fell off a lot during the weekend. The main problem I have is that the two things that I really need you to do this week are be good with your wedges and putt. And Luke List, for me, number one, the, the putter, Chris is already laughing. Team, team no putt. <laughs> Luke List, so we we really like I don't know what this range of outcomes is. I mean, he gained six strokes putting to win the Sanderson Farms. I don't know, like I don't know what shaman like he had working for him to get make, make him gain six strokes putting in a week. But you got to think that some regression is due. He's going to probably lose strokes putting for the next like ten starts at least to atone for um, for the outlier event. But I think even maybe more importantly, like I think Luke List tends to save himself a lot more on golf courses where a you have to have a driver a lot. And this is a golf course where even if you are super long and super accurate off the tee, which Luke List is, there are still golf holes here where you're going to have to club down and kind of play to very similar spots as everyone else. It's kind of a golf course where you just play for position off the tee, rely on your wedge game. And from kind of inside 150, Luke List loses a lot of the advantages that he traditionally has at golf courses that are longer, require you to hit a lot of five iron, six iron, seven irons from the greens. It's kind of like the Cameron Champ, Bryson DeChambeau cool air, where a lot of these longer guys off the tee benefit a lot whenever you play longer golf courses not just because of their length off the tee but because they're gonna they have shorter clubs into greens from 175 190 200 plus yards and thus a lot of the longer hitters on tour tend to rate out very highly in long iron proximity metrics that's why you know you look at proximity 200 plus bryson DeChambeau was on top of that list for a long time luke list is a top five long iron player in this field cam champ uh matt wolf was another guy that that did that as well so I just don't really feel like this is the optimal setup for Luke List. Um, look, he's certainly talented enough. He's certainly a good enough ball striker to do it, but it's not something that's not a profile I'm not I'm really looking to pay up for. So Chris is right. Luke List is off the, the bidding card. Um, and then Thomas Dietrich is kind of the last one that I really have not a ton of interest in. Um, Dietrich, to me, profiles a kind of lot, a lot like Herbert's without the win uh now Dietrich finished second here last year he finished 22nd here before too he does have some positive history around this golf course um he is a really good putter the problem is again that's kind of where it ends for Dietrich um he's an above average driver of the ball but the approach play has been horrid over his last five starts uh he's lost nearly two shots per tournament on approach uh not a very good long-term wedge player um around the green play is pretty tour average as well so there's just not a lot of like elite tools to speak of with Dietrich. The main argument you can make for him would be the fact that this type of golf course has been kind of his jam for the short duration of his PGA tour career. Uh, like I said, he finished second here last year. Uh, he has three top 15 finishes in Pujicana and the Dominican Republic, which is a bit of a longer golf course, but still coastal, very windswept. Um, he's got a 12th place finish at the Fortinet, which is another short wedge intensive golf course, 15th at Mayakoba last year. 
um, you know, top 20 at Wyndham. So, like, when you sort by comparable courses, Dietrich's name will pop up. But in terms of how he's playing right now, I don't really see why he's priced at 20 or 25 to 1. So, so with that, uh, List is off the board, Dietrich's off the board, Gim's off the board for me, Herbert's off the board for me. And this is kind of where I've been stuck for a little while. Um, so I'll kind of go through, and I'm going to take up a lot of airtime because, like I said, I don't really have a lot of interest after 25 to 1. So um, I'm going to kind of go over why I like each of these guys individually. Um, and now we'll start kind of the, the start of my short list, which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Yeah, 8 guys deep, and I kind of need to cut at least 4 of them uh, in order to make the card kind of sustainable. So we'll start with Adam Scott, who I think is probably, I don't know. He, I just don't really have a lot of gusto for Scott this week. I know he's 18 to one. He's number one in my model. You would think like that makes a lot of sense. You know, like he's, it feels like you're getting a bit of a price break here. 18 to one is actually the best price on market. He's usually 16 to one, even 14 to one in some spots. Um, Scott over like a six month sample is the best player in this field, right? Like he had a stretch from kind of the start of May into the end of September where he was like, he had one, two, three, four, five top tens worldwide in that stretch. Um, you know, finished T nine at the Memorial finished T 29 at the PGA championship finished T 19 at the travelers, all those obviously elevated events, phenomenal putter, which is something we don't often say about Adam Scott, really good wind player as well. Really good around the greens. His iron play has been a bit more sporadic, but when it's good, it tends to be really good. Frankly, I don't really know why he's playing this event. I mean, this is a guy that like is on record saying that like only 10 tournaments in on the calendar year even matter to him. And uh, I wouldn't imagine the Butterfield Brigade is one of them. So uh, truthfully, it was kind of a shock that he's even in this field. Um, but the I guess the more pressing matter is over the last two starts, it feels like the wind has kind of been taken out of his sails just a bit, right? He went to Japan at the Zozo, finished T41. We were on him that week. I was um, very high on his prospects, and he never really showed up. He had a pretty bad driving week and a pretty bad putting week. The week before that, he missed the cut at the Japan Open Golf Championship, uh, which let me just read off some of the some of the contenders that he was going up against that week. Uh, the winner of that tournament it, uh, was... Here, I'm pulling it up. Aguri Ishikawa or Iwasaki. I'm sorry. Iwas Aguri Iwasaki. He's 310th in the world from Japan. Uh, Ryu Ishikawa came second. Pretty recognizable name. He's 175th in the world. Um, number th uh, third was Takahiro Hataji. He's 609th in the world. Um, in a Again, a tie for third was Siyoung Hiramoto from Japan. 673 in the world. I'm going to stop there because I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to insult uh, any more Japanese professional golfers with the with the awful pronunciation of their name, but you can kind of get what I'm going for here in the fact that, I, I mean, he he lost to two Filipino golfers. I, I mean, I, I can't remember. I mean, you know me. Like, if there was a legit Filipino golfer, I would be like, I would be, he would be betting, we'd be betting every week for no <laughs> reason whatsoever. Um, I've not found a single Filipino to bet in the history of flag hunting. And somehow Adam Scott lost to two of them, two of them. He lost to <laughs> my boy, uh, Justin De Los Santos, who was born in 1995, uh, 532 in the world. And he, he, uh, lost to Yuvich Pangusan, uh, who is a legend of Filipino golf born in 1978, which makes him 45 now, roughly, um, 612th in the world. 
So yeah, I, I just, I don't really see how you bet a guy at 18 to one when like the last like pulse that he showed was a month and a half ago at Wentworth. So could he revert back to the summer on Scott? Sure. And I really don't even mind if you play for that upside. It's just not for me this week. I, I like a, I like other guys a bit too much, especially because if I do bet a guy 18 to one, all of a sudden it really kind of constricts what I can do uh, with some other guys, particularly with how many guys I'm interested in kind of from 22 to 25 to one long-winded ran. I'm, I, I know, but I, I'm sorry. Um, all right, let's move on to Akshay Batia. He's 20 to one as well. Uh, I think you can actually find 25 to one. Yeah. On bookmaker, you can find 25 to one on bookmaker, which is actually, I, I will say at 20 to one, I had very little interest. Once I did see a bit of drift, like Akshay made the short list. The problem I have with Akshay is he's, to this point, we all know the potential, right? He's 21 years old. He's won at basically every level up until this point. This feels like a very reasonable next step in his progression, right? One of the Corn Ferry Tour, um, then won a kind of alternate field event at the uh, Barracuda you know, contended at some, you know, Puerto Rico's, some Mexico opens, some kind of alt field events. Now Bermuda feels like a, it feels like the lowest hanging fruit of all of the main field PJ tour events. You couple that with the fact that he's had a lot of success on kind of these coastal, um, you know, short tracks, both here on the PJ tour and on the corn Ferry tour, right? His corn Ferry tour came, uh, when came in the Bahamas, he's played well in Panama. Uh, he's played well, like I said, in Mexico, like this feels like, again, a really, Solid spot for Bot- for Botia. He finished tenth last week at the Worldwide Technology. Um, albeit he didn't really have a chance to win that event, but you know, back to the top ten. Him, him and Ludwig, I think, shot matching sixty fours um, to kind of sneak inside the top ten. The problem is when you look at the modeling, he's kind of middling in everything. He's not well. He's not middling as a putter. He's actually a pretty bad putter, particularly on Bermuda. Um, the approach play has been like pretty lackluster since the start of the swing season. He's actually lost strokes in approach in four straight. We don't have strokes gain data for the technology open uh, for the worldwide technology or for the Zozo. So it's kind of anyone's guess how he struck the ball then. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I just, I, I can't help but think books are pricing him up just a little bit because it, it feels like, you know, like it's very fun to bet on the new exciting 21 year old talent. Um and I just think there's a bit more solid profiles kind of around that range. So speaking of rock solid, let's go to Brendan Todd, who's number two in my modeling. He's 20 to one on the odds board. Um, and Todd is a guy that's not only has he won here before, but he's, but like if there was ever a golf course for Brendan Todd, like this kind of feels like it, uh, right? A golf course where length does not matter off the tee. You have a ton of wedges in the greens and, Huge emphasis on putting and, and scrambling, depending on uh, what the wind does. He's actually one of the best wind players in this field throughout his career. He's gained over half a stroke per round um, in windy conditions. Uh, he's the best putter in this field. He has one of the best short games uh, inside the top 20 in wedge proximity as well. So Todd is is probably the, my favorite name I've talked about so far uh, in terms of between Scott and Batia. I think I'm more likely – this is the, sorry, I had to share this. I don't mean to cut you off, but this is yeah. the wildest skill profile I've ever seen. Like yeah. I always pull this up as you talk about names. So for those that don't know, this is not obviously not a video video podcast, but I typically look at data golf when Ian's bringing names up just to kind of have a bearing for 
what their profile looks like or like kind of what the results look like. And this profile is, I don't even know, what do you call this, Shapian? Like, it's, uh, it, yeah, well, it's min-max <laughs> is what I would call it. It's min-max. So like Brennan Todd, if you were like creating a character on PJ Tour 2K, like he took all the distance <laughs> attributes and turned the sliders down to zero. And then basically everything that has to do with short game, everything that has to do inside of 150 yards, he just turned up to like the extreme. <laughs> So literally, because look, here's his approach. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, well, he's, um, he, yeah, he's playing like the old man game, like the old man, the two handicap we'll have at our club that like can't the ball more than 180 yards, but somehow beats you every single week. Yeah, uh, that's, that's Brandon Tall on the PJ tour. And this is the golf course for that type of skill set to kind of come into the fold. So I, I do like Brandon Todd, but I, I will admit like the prospect of betting at 20 to one is like, is really jarring to me. So that's a little bit TBD. Um, Let's let's get in some guys that I I really like. We're fucking forty eight minutes in. Jesus Christ! <laughs> let's finally let's finally get some guys I actually like. I think Lucas Glover's really good value this week. He's twenty five. I, like I like this too. Yeah, he's twenty five to one on the odds board uh, on Bookmaker right now. And if you want to talk about like elite skills, like we've talked a lot about a lot of guys that like don't really possess a lot of like elite traits, even for like this field. But if you want to talk about elite skills, like in the world of golf. Lucas Glover is like probably a top five or 10 iron player in the world right now. And especially in this field, there is so much separation between Lucas Glover and the next best iron player over the last 36 rounds. Lucas Glover's gained 36.5 shots. That's, you know, just over a shot per round on approach. Number two is Mark Hubbard, who in those same 36 rounds has gained 28.7. So that's an eight, nearly nine shot disparity, or yeah, nearly eight shot, dis- excuse me, disparity between number one and number two. In the stroke can approach metrics. Lucas Glover is also the number one wedge player in this entire field inside 150. He's number two in uh, opportunities gained or birdie chances created. Number three in strokes gained off the tee. Number two in total ball striking. <laughs> like, if it has to do with, like, the long game, Glover is tailor-made for this golf course. Obviously, the, the thing you worry about when you bet Lucas Glover is the putter. But I will say, the last two times he stepped foot on this service on Bermuda – he fucking won. <laughs> he won at Sedgefield in Greensboro. Excuse me, I'm pulling up right now. Won at Sedgefield in Greensboro, getting 4.9 shots on those Bermuda greens. And then won in Memphis in a fucking playoff event, gaining 3.1 shots in Memphis on Bermuda grass greens. So the two starts after that, he did lose shots um, putting at the BMW in the Tour Championship. But those also are like some of the strongest fields we see all year. And he only lost 1.6 to 1.8 strokes putting, which if you know anything about strokes gain, you know it's prorated for field. It, it doesn't adjust for field strength. So losing 1.8 shots putting against a field field of, with guys like an informed Victor Hovland, Matt Fitzpatrick, Brian Harmon, Roy McIlroy, Max Homa, like that's a bit more palatable than losing 1.8 in a field that is filled with, you know, swing season guys um, that we're talking about this week. So I just think Glover's – he's just in a kind of a tier of his own from a ball striking perspective. And we've at least unlike a Doug Gim, we've at least seen like the upside with the putter, right? Like he's proven literally what three months ago that he can make a clutch putt down the stretch of a much bigger tournament than this. So the fact that he's 25 to one this week, he was 25 to one last week against like Ludwig and Sahith and Cam Young and on a golf course that was much longer like you have to hit a lot more drivers. I thought length would be a much bigger asset than it is this week, which if you look at like Glover's weaknesses outside of putting, it's length off the tee. 
the fact that he's 25 to one this week is really confusing. Like I, I thought he would probably be like a co-favor with Adam Scott kind of heading into the week. So Glover's definitely one of the closer ones I'm at. The only problem with Glover is the AMPM split. He is in the bad side of the weather draw, um, which I, as time goes on, like on Monday afternoon, I was really concerned as the week has gone on. It seems as if the weather wave has kind of, it stabilized a little bit more. It's not as extreme. It's not like as round killing, but it is something to certainly monitor. Like if, if tomorrow, cause tomorrow will be Wednesday. We'll only be 24 hours out from the first tee shots. So you would assume that the forecast will get a bit more accurate. And actually, now that I say that, um, the super forecast on WinFinder, which is we can go deep into the minutia of like how they aggregate all these these results. But you know, there are people, very sharp people in this industry that will swear by the super forecast as opposed to the regular forecast on WinFinder. Again, not a radiologist. But the super forecast for Thursday has actually pretty level, about eight to ten miles an hour all day long. So if that does become the case and the Regular projections catch up to the super projections. I think Glover's a, a play for me um, because he's just in a class. Like you can argue he's the best player in this field, like very, very easily. Um, and we talk about a lot of guys like Akshay and like Smalley and like Ben Griffin who have very, very promising futures. Haven't really won shit. Lucas Glover not only has won two events in the last three months, he's a US Open winner. He's won a quote hollow. Like this is a very accomplished player. So. Um, that's all I've got to say about Lucas Lover. He's probably the most likely name that you're going to see tomorrow. I'm going to be quite honest with you. Um, I'm kind of, again, holding out for weather projections just in case it gets gnarly. Uh, but you can still find 25 to 1 to one on Bookmaker. You can still find 25 to 1 on GM. Still find 25 to 1 on Borgata. Just looking at the odds checker board. So they're, they're still out there. Um, if I see significant movement in the market, I will go ahead and make that move. But just so you know, um, you guys don't need to co- be coached through gambling. But 25 to 1, Lucas Glover. I think it's a good bet. My second favorite bet currently on the board right now is Alex Molly, uh, who is actually on the good side of the weather wave. But even if he wasn't, he's actually one of the best wind players in this field. Top five over the last three years in strokes gain total in windy and water conditions. Smalley also rates out as the third best iron player in this field after Glover and Hubbard. Number one in birdie chances created. Number three in total ball striking. Number 20 and birdie or inside the top 20 and birdies, birdies are better gained as well. And top five in wedge proximity. Uh, if I can find the heading, this is the problem with having so many models open. There we go. Um, yeah, he's number four in the wedge proximity model. So Smalley, from a ball striking perspective, I think is about as close as you can find to Glover in this field. And I'm not going to lie. He does struggle as well with the putter. Like, he and Doug Gim, I think, have very similar, like, um, statistical profiles. The thing is, though, number one, Smalley has actually come close on the PJ Tour level before, right? He came, he came runner-up at the John Deere Classic. He's come runner-up at Corrales. Uh, he finished fifth at the RSM, finished fourth at Houston um, just over the last kind of 12 months. Uh, so that's four top three finishes over the last, like, year, year and a half. But maybe even more importantly than that, here Bermuda. He's actually come 11th and 12th in two starts. Gained a cumulative of 15.6 shots on the field in eight rounds. They can give him, I think, in a, on a per-round basis, the most accomplished player in this field uh, when it comes down to it. So 
I love the fact that he has history on this venue. I love the fact that he's his recent ball striking splits have been phenomenal. Um, he's kind of continually popped up as well. A very similar styles of golf courses in terms of the projected approach play, right? He's gained eight shots on approach to the John Deere Classic, another wedge fest. 5.8 shots on approach to the Travelers, the, the shortest golf course on the PGA Tour, the only golf course shorter than Port Royal. He's gained 7.3 shots on approach at the Rocket Mortgage, which is another birdie party wedge fest. Um, and then he gained 4.2 shots of the Wyndham, another kind of short Bermuda grass course, ton of short irons, ton of wedges. So this seems as if this seems as though if like small is going to get his win, like ton of wedges, short course, um, weak field, like this kind of feels like the spot for him. So Smalley 25 to one is another bet that I'm, I'm considering. I would rather have Smalley than Batia. Um, and I think I'd rather have Smalley than I'm Scott. So as of right now, if I had to go through my top three, it would be Glover, Smalley, and then Brendan Todd. There are two guys though that I think get really close to Todd. Uh, and you can actually find him at 25 and 28 to one respectively, uh, depending on the book you're looking at. But number one is actually Alex Noren. Uh, who's not a name I, I typically bring up. He's a guy that rates up pretty poorly in long-term ball striking metrics, typically really kind of hard carried by aspects of the game that I don't value very much on a week-to-week basis. But in a field like this, particularly if the wind kicks up, Norn, when you combine short game and putting, is the best in the field. He is first-class short game, not just in a field like this, but across world golf. Over his last 20 tournaments, he's gained an average – or sorry, over his last 10 tournaments, he's getting an average of 3.1 shots between his, his around the green play and his punting play, um, which on a golf course like this, particularly the wind kicks up, like I said, uh, is really, really crucial. He's a phenomenal Bermuda grass putter, top five in this field historically on Bermuda grass. He's also one of the best wind players, maybe the best wind player in this field. Over the course of his career, he's gained about nine-tenths of a shot per round uh, in windy, windy score conditions. Um, and maybe the most kind of, telling sign of Noren has been his recent kind of aptitude on these similar easy wedge intensive golf courses. He actually just finished. I mean, if you here, I'll go ahead and go back. Like if you, if you remember Noren when he first, kind of first came on the scene in 2016, 2017, he was a lot more well-known as like a plotter, a guy that played difficult golf courses really well, played really well, like I said, in the wind and sloppy conditions, uh, really made his living on, on like open championships, right? He finished, uh, you know, top 10 at the players championship back in 2017, um, was kind of constantly in the mix at, at golf courses like the Honda, uh, you know, like, like the RSM, right? Seaside wind fests. But as of recently, over the last kind of couple of years, we've seen a bit of a tra- transition in his game. And he's started to pop a lot more at these kind of, easier score conditions, a lot of short courses, birdie parties, right? This is a guy that came 12th of the Byron Nelson, about as easy as you get in the PJ Tour, ton of wedges. A guy that came ninth of the Rocket Mortgage, kind of aforementioned with Smalley, another golf course I think that compares pretty fable in approach proximity to this one. Um, and maybe most notably, just last month, finished third at TBC Summerlin, which again is another short, wedge-intensive golf course. Uh, you have to make a lot of birdies. Finished third there and actually had the best TD Green Week of – not of his career, but the best TD Green Week he's had since 2017 at the Players' Championship. Um, so we're going back over six years since he's played that well from TD Green. Gained 3.3 shots off the tee, 5.5 shots on approach. Again, on a golf course that requires a ton of wedges. Um, so all those factors combined, like he he kind of carries, in my opinion, a bit more ball striking upside than even a guy like Brendan Todd. 
Um, and I think he has a pretty, I mean, he has a just as good of a chance with, with the short game and, and around the greens. So, excuse me. So I, I, I think Alex Noren, in, in my opinion, is a really nice kind of discount play from Brendan Todd. And like I said, I think he does carry a bit more ball striking upside um, than Todd does. So, yeah, I think that kind of makes my decision for me in that sense. So right now, I, I really like Noren at 25. I really like Glover at 25, and I really like Smalley at 25. So that brings 13.5 units um, on my scale, which is about, again, 75% roughly of my total allocation. So we have room for one more guy. It could be Brendan Todd, um, but that would be cutting it pretty damn close. I think that would put us at like 19, which is not not exactly what I would like, but I could certainly, yeah, I could certainly get there. Um, sorry, I've been really long-winded, but – I promise you it's almost over. Um, okay, so the, the last two names we haven't talked about yet in this range are, are Ben Griffin and Taylor Pendrith. Again, both not statistically similar, but at least in terms of like the journey they took to get here, both very similar. Pendrith and Griffin, actually the last two 54 leaders at this golf tournament. Uh, Pendrith blew his lead with a 76 in 2022, or 2021, I'm sorry. And then obviously Ben Griffin, uh, I think he shot like two or three over on Sunday to lose to Seamus Power. Uh, last year, both priced at twenty-eight to one on Bookmaker. Uh, both are pretty pretty uh, differing overall profiles, but both coming in with some solid form. Uh, Pendrith has finished third and fifteenth in his last two starts at the Shriners and the Worldwide Technologies. Griffin, of course, uh, you know had another Sunday implosion at the Sanderson Farms, uh, where he had I think like a three or four shot lead on Sunday. Um, Going into that, going into that final round, end up losing in the playoff to Luke List. Um, but since then, recorded the best uh, week he's had since the Sanderson Farms with a twenty-third finish, place finish at uh, the Worldwide Technology. So when you bowl down Griffin's game, it's a lot of, it's a lot closer to like a guy like Brendan Todd, who he's really, really good on the greens. He's really good around the greens, uh, and he has a lot of upside. I think even more upside with the iron play than Brendan Todd. The problem with Ben Griffin is like the driver is objectively maybe one of the worst in the field. And that's really cost him at the Sanderson Farms and this golf course last year. Uh, you know, he like literally could not hit a fairway down the stretch at the Sanderson Farms. And like even to points where he had to like lay up and hit wedges into his third shot on like very scorable par fours. Last year, I remember on 14 when he was kind of like starting to waver a little bit, the kind of the fit, the final nail in the coffin was on 14. He just blew a driver way left into the trees uh, and then ended up taking double bogey, and that was pretty much it for his day. So the devil's advocate side of that is if you are ever going to be shit off the tee, like this is kind of the golf course to be shit off the tee at. And we have seen like some legit ball striking upside with the iron play from Ben Griffin, he's top 15 in this field over the last 36 rounds on approach. Like I said, he's one of the best Bermuda putters in this field. Uh, really, really reliable around the greens. Um, so if you can just kind of keep the driver under control, like it does feel like this is a about as good of a spot for like Griffin, who he's ever going to close one. It kind of feels like it could be here. Um, and then Pendrith is a little bit of the opposite where he has a really high ball striking ceiling. Um, Right, like he's super long off the tee. He's actually gained strokes and approach in seven of his last eight starts, including two point seven in the Shriners, two at the Fortinet, six or sorry, three point nine in the Barbasol, five point four at the Rocket Mortgage. So the iron play 
has been firing. He just finished 15th of the worldwide technology. Um, he plays short courses really well. He's played uh, well historically at TBC Summerlin, Pebble Beach, uh, Wyndham, you know, Barbasol. Again, he finished um, finished fifth here in 2021. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. I think I'm going to bet Brendan Todd <laughs> because I, I'm trying to make like a legit case for one of these two guys. And I uh, I just don't really know if I want to ride the Ben Griffin train again. And, and Pendrith, while he is an interesting pick, I don't quite know if I'm, I'm all the way there uh, from a statistical standpoint. So, yeah. Again, I, I don't know if this is the most informative episode. It was a lot of me just like just spitting my thoughts out on air. Um, but yeah, I, I think Todd would be probably my my favorite bet objectively. Price adjusted is something that I'm gonna have to think about, obviously, with um kind of twenty to one versus twenty eight to one. You you know, you're kind of priced in with some of those deficiencies. But uh but yeah, I, I think as of now, assuming we don't get any more funny business from the winds. Um, I, I like Smalley, Glover, and Norn a lot. And then the other one, the last guy is kind of up in the air. Um, I don't mind Davis Riley, to be honest. I'm just going to kind of throw out some names. Uh, sorry. I had some too. Yeah, no, you're, that was, that was the next thing I was going to throw out. I was going to throw out Riley. I, I'm, I feel like I'm contractually, contractually obligated to call it Ryan Palmer because I heard him in your model. And, um, who's the other one? Quest was pretty high in your model. So, and he's pretty far down the board. And then I've seen a lot of um, Harry Hall tickets on Twitter. So I'm interested to see what you have on Harry Hall. That is that is an interesting one. Yeah. I can I can I read you can I read you his his he's he's got a profile similar to Akshay, it looks like, where like these like resort tropical uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, locations are kind of where he thrives. You got T7 at Puerto Rico, T13 at Putacana, T10 at Mexico Open, mm-hmm. uh, ra- randomly a T3 at Charles Schwab, and I was not tropical but still yeah um so yeah it seems like he's kind of got that similar profile but you're getting him at like what three times the price (laughs) yeah the problem with harry hall is like there's no life in the ball striking he is a very good putter i'll say that he he, he's a guy that you know we saw the charles schwab who almost his putter in a short game almost carried him to a win at at colonial uh which is another shorter golf course that requires a few more mid to long irons than a a, uh, port rule this week but yeah hall's a guy that I, i think could certainly make his way onto the first page of the leaderboard just by making a million putts. But last, you know, it, over his last five ten, tournaments, last 10 tournaments, last 20, last, you know, and over the course of his career, uh, there's just not really been a lot of sustained life out of the ball striking, both driving the ball and on approach. So not a profile I'm particularly interested in, to be to be quite honest with you. But I, he did pop up because he's such a good putter. Um, but similar to some of the guys we talked about earlier that I didn't have a lot of interest in. Um, yeah, it just doesn't really feel like he has the ball striking drops to keep up with some of the guys like a Smalley, a Glover, um, even like an Adam Scott or an Akshay uh, for me. So um, Riley of the guys you named is the guy that I do have the most interest in um, purely because his wedge play is really good. I talked about Smalley being the fourth best wedge player in this entire field. If I talk about Glover being number one, uh, the number one wedge player in this entire field, uh, Davis Riley is number three. Uh, Charlie Hoffman is two. Riley's number three. Um, and, you know, like it, this does feel like a little bit of a buy low for Riley because of my general opinion of him. I mean, this is a guy, you know, last summer that we're talking about as one of the breakout stars in world golf, right? Where he had 
five straight top five, 15 finishes at places like the PGA Championship and Memorial and Charles Schwab, et cetera. So it, it does feel like a bit of a buy-low spot for, for a guy of his caliber. He finished seventh here actually in 2021 as well, so he has a bit of positive history around this golf course. Um, last kind of recorded start in the strokes caned uh, sense. He gained 3.5 shots in approach at the Shriners Open, which again, very wedge intensive. 2.1 shots in approach to the Wyndham, wedge intensive. Um, the putter is it's middling, to be honest, but um, you're getting a bit of a discount, and I do think he's got the ball striking chops to actually contend um, with some of the top names I've already talked about. So I'm seeing him kind of drift towards like 40 to 1 on, on Bookmaker. That's a, that's a number that I would certainly be interested in monitoring. Um, another guy, a bit of a coarse horse and a, a guy that I have a, just a little bit of weakness for would be Russell Knox. He's 110 to 1 uh, or 120 to 1, depending on where you look. Um, when you talk about kind of proficiency in the wind, really good wedge players, really good overall iron players, um, kind of Russell Knox is a bit of a one trick pony. Like he kind of is really good at <laughs> approach play and kind of pretty middling everywhere else. One thing I will say is, you know, he's made four starts here. He finished 11th, 12th, 16th, and 49th in those four starts. So again, maybe a bit more of a prop play for me on Russell Knox. Um, but you could take worse shots, I think, in the triple digits than him. Um, and then, yeah, you talk about Peter Quest, which he, he does continue to rate out really well for me. Um, just over a macro, like on a macro level, but it does feel like as well that we've hit a bit of an impasse in terms of his progression. He has just one finish better than 45th over his last seven starts. Um, you know, he, he had a really hot run with his ball striking from kind of the Byron Nelson to the John Deere since then, um, you know, he hasn't gained more than three shots ball striking in a tournament sense, uh, misses last two cuts of the Shriners and the worldwide technology. So it, it doesn't really like he, he is free falling down on its boards relative to where I kind of have him in my overall numbers, but there's not really a lot in the recent stretch we've seen, um, to really have a lot of interest there. So, um, yeah, this is kind of why I spent so much time at the top because as you go down, it gets really fucking difficult in my opinion to really make a ton of cases. Um, I know Matty Smith just had a really nice debut – or not debut, but a really nice performance of the Worldwide Technology. He's another guy, young uh, European talent from Germany, low amateur at the uh, Open Championship. He's one the, he was one of the top amateurs in the world just a couple of years ago. Um, I don't really know if this is the place for him. I feel like – his main weapons revolve around kind of his length off the tee. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe not not quite this spot. I, I liked him a lot better last week than I do this week, especially at an inflated price. So, um, but, yeah, that, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't have a lot more than, than what we kind of already, already alluded to. So, it's good. We were 70 minutes in, and I have plenty to do after this. So, um, again, hopefully that was – uh, productive, constructive for you guys out there listening. Um, and it was relatively coherent, but yeah, it, it's always a little bit tougher to create content when you don't have a lot of concrete bets locked in. But um, I think we got a pretty good idea of kind of where we sit. And again, this is just a, one of those golf courses where I want to be extra careful because if the weather does pop up, like all of a sudden your 25 to one ticket could just kind of burn, like turn to ash in your hands. If, if Glover gets stuck out there and a rogue front pops up and he's stuck in 30 mile an hour winds and it clears up by the afternoon, like it's just 
it's just kind of over, which for the record, I don't expect that to happen, but better safe than sorry, particularly when the prices seem to be stabilized at this point in the week. So you'll get the full treatment on the Rotoball article next uh, tomorrow morning. I'll have the betting card out no later than lunchtime on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, that's all I've got to say about the movie championship. Can't believe it took this long to kind of flush out all the thoughts, but all right, one last, one last question. Do you, okay. is there any, considering that you've hit, and I know we haven't had, we haven't used this strategy in a while, but is there any ch- chance that you're just so unsure still come 24 hours from now that you just go ahead and lock in Glover, Smalley, and Norrin, yeah. and then you save the rest of your four and a half to five units for live ads? Is that a possibility? I think that'd be smart. Yeah. I think it'd be smart. The, the, <laughs> the problem I have personally is uh, uh, it's difficult for me to find avenues to live ad at this point in time. Gotcha. So that would be the reason why we haven't employed that strategy very much. Got to say, it's working out pretty damn well. Uh, <laughs> kind of just betting everything pre-tournament. But I, I do think this is, yeah, like, and, and I will have a, an article or a portion of my article tomorrow called Scout of the Routing that will help you identify spots in the golf course where I think you can present some value on guys. Um, where we kind of get deep in the minutia if you want to live bet. That will all be included in the article tomorrow. But yeah, if you do want to save some money for in tournament, I I definitely think this is a golf like a golf tournament that um that you can warrant that because your shortlist is already so small. So you can just kind of really concentrate on just a very concentrated number, just a few players. Um and again, books don't really know what to do with a lot of these guys. Um you know, like they, they're not really going to be concentrating very much on the Bermuda championship. So you can sometimes catch some rogue numbers. You know, we were able to catch Lucas Herbert at 175. He opened, he closed at 66. Um, there that he won, he closed on Wednesday night, Thursday morning at 66 to one. We were to catch him at 175 just a few hours later. So, uh, that just gives you an idea of kind of the volatility of this market. Um, if you guys have any questions about live betting, I'm, I'd be more than happy to answer it, but yeah. Um, that's, that's the main problem I have is just finding, avenues to do it so um yeah no no qualms with the actual suggestion just with the implementation of said suggestion so all right so uh just to kind of wrap up where ian's thoughts were um obviously he likes scott at the top but um may not be clicking quite yet on scott because he has a lot more interest in glover at 25 smalley at 26 norn at 24 and then todd um, potentially at 21 uh, being the other kind of big lean there. We talked about Davis Riley a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, we yeah. talked about, oh God, now I'm drawing a blank on who else you brought from the long range. Russell, Russell Knox is the only one. Russell, that's right. Also want to give a special shout out to, um, I know we're, we're going way over time and we got to go, but uh, the Brian brothers, if you guys uh, follow a lot of social media, YouTube, uh, Instagram, golf, um, you'll know about the Brian brothers. Obviously, Wesley's been on tour for quite some time, but this is actually his older brother, George's first start on the PGA Tour. Um, and he opened at 4,000 to one, <laughs> which I, full disclosure, clicked at 4,001 for $2.50. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's not an official bet. I don't really encourage anyone to do that, but that's just for me personally. Um, I do think Wesley actually is not a bad long shot. I think he's like 200, 300 to one at most books. Um, but you talk about a, a you talk about a guy that is 
horrendous off the tee historically, but does really, really good work inside 150. One of the best wedge players on the PJ Tour can really heat up with a putter and around the green. So I do, I don't really get a chance to tout Wesley very much, but I do think this is a golf course that suits him pretty well. Um, so look out for the Brian Brothers. I'm not saying bet them by any means. Like if you, it, for me, it was just a fun a couple $5 chips to throw down uh, on a Monday morning. But, um, but yeah, that was just my, my, again, we're not really delving too far into long shots. So um, I hope at least one of them can maybe make their way in the mix. And, you know, both of them would be, it'd be a pretty cool story to see two brothers fighting down the stretch for, you know, the first, the first time they've been in the same, I think tournament since like college uh, when they both went to South Carolina. So um yeah, that's where we're at in the content space right now for Bermuda. We're talking about a four thousand one long <laughs> shot. But um, but shout out George. Hopefully he can he can have a nice debut uh here on Bermuda. But that's gone one way too long. I'm gonna go ahead and close this out, Chris. Um again, you can follow us on uh, flag hunting for all the bets that we have. I'm gonna have my article on Rotoball and posted tomorrow morning, maybe early afternoon. And uh best of luck, guys. I, I know. This is not the best tournament to go for four in a row on, but, um, you know, I do believe that I don't really see a lot of guys that could potentially win this golf tournament that I'm actually scared of. So I do think that if we concentrate on 30 to one, we could have a pretty good chance of having a sweat uh, come Sunday afternoon. So for me and Chris, Bermuda Championship, we only have two events on the PGA Tour after this. So winding down very steadily. Um, so let's catch at least one more before we close the book on 2023 or we just keep it rolling four five six in a row why not <laughs> all right guys uh with that being said we will catch you guys next week see you